Bloody Elbow presents the Hey Not The Face podcast, the show that brings you the business side of combat sports, including contract review, financial analysis, fighter pay issues, and more. Hey Bloody Elbow podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, John S. Nash, joined by his producer, Steffi Haynes. Bloody Elbow podcasts are proud to be sponsored by RevGear. They've been a pioneer in the industry and have grown into a formidable brand and true leader in the MMA gear market. Bloody Elbow listeners get 20% off. Go to RevGear.com slash Bloody Elbow email sign up. Hello and welcome to Hey Not The Face with your host, John Nash. And your producer, me, Steffi Haynes. And today, we are going to look at a special report from Guy Davis, who is a forensic accountant and the one assigned to the antitrust lawsuit by the plaintiffs. John, how the hell are you? Good, good. Had a busy weekend. Had a lot of lot of reading material popped, dropped on my lap this last week, so... Yeah, there are a lot of pages here. And just right off the top, as you are reading through this document, once you get past all of Mr. Davis's credentials, which include 28 years of being a forensic accountant and lots and lots of cases that he has uh, handled in, in courts. But anyways... One of the first things that flew out at me was purchases made by Zufa. This is uh, on page 12 of 73, section C titled Factual Background, History of Zufa, LLC, and the UFC, and item number 13. Would you please read that and explain? Okay, well, beginning in 2006, Zupa purchased several MMA organizations, including World Extreme Cage Fighting, WEC, World Fighting Alliance, WFA, Pride Fighting Championship, Affliction, and Strike Force Mixed Martial Arts. Affliction. Back up, please. Affliction. Now, I want to focus on that for just a second because most people not named John Nash are under the impression that Affliction folded and that all those contracts sort of evaporated into thin air because Affliction folded. And we were all led to believe that Affliction folded solely because of Josh Barnett. But there are extenuating circumstances, are there not? Well, yeah. I mean, actually, thanks to the antitrust lawsuit, we know one is that Affliction was actually in contact with Zufa back in 2008. Uh, people that go back that long enough, they know 2008 in, in uh, I think, June, July or August 2008, there was the Fedor Emelianenko versus Tim Sylvia Affliction band fight. Uh, shortly thereafter, Affliction got in contact with the UFC about the UFC acquiring the assets, taking over the event uh, for Affliction. 
uh, and and running it. Now, th- nothing really became of that. But then later, Affliction ran into trouble with the uh, with the the third bout, the trilogy bout. They're calling it when Emilianenko was going to take on Barnett, and Barnett failed his drug test. And they had contacted instead of they tried to rescue it, I guess, the event. But instead, they were given up. And they contact the UFC of taking over the event, basically paying everybody's salaries, uh, and then and then and then owning the event. And Affliction would exit the MMA business. That didn't quite happen. So what they did is they folded the event. Uh, they just they just killed the event, declared their losses, and then sold the assets that they had, which included some fighter contracts that that could be transferable. As, as well as uh, the rights to the video, the, the film rights and stuff like that, to the UFC. So for all intents and purposes, Zufa bought Affliction, which is why it's in this particular uh, item number here um, among their purchases. Yeah, Affliction, we should be clear, Affliction MMA. There's also the Affliction, the clothing brand. Oh, they didn't yes. buy that, but they bought right. the, the Affliction MMA promotion. They bought the assets for that. Wow. I do believe that most people don't realize that's what happened. World Fighting Alliance, WFA. There's something special going on there. What is it? They bought World Fighting Alliance, which is kind of interesting, is later in this document, um, this is the Guy Davis report. It's a uh, He's a, a, he's a, a CPA accountant, or just a, his list of credentials that covers several pages. He was hired to look through Zufa's finances. So the, the information we got here is him compiling both public reports, you know, Zufa filings to the government, basically for tax purposes, as well as their own internal fi- finances and other reports. He compiled them all to probably the best financial picture you'll find anywhere that we, that we, the not a member of, not the Partitas or Dana White can get for this period. He was hired for that. And one of the things that's interesting is they, they had a bunch of uh, acquisitions of promotions and Zupa had a, a note from that. They, they did a document called the Intang- intangible asset memo in 2007 that they, they Zupa wrote up. Uh, at least Zupa supposedly made, uh, wrote it up, right? Uh, there's no, I think there's no signature to it, but all evidence is Zupa wrote it up and, or Zupa had it written up for him, one of the two. And what it said is that what's interesting is it talks about the reasoning why Zupa acquired this little known WFA. And it even says the purpose of Zupa's acquisition of the small and little known WFA was a defensive strategy to eliminate a second tier competitive brand operating in the Las Vegas market. The company believes that it is appropriate that the entire WFA purchase price, including the portion not specified in the purchase agreement as a non-compete component, be classified as non-compete assets and amortized over a period of seven years. Okay, so the whole point is they were they had bought this. They wanted it included as a uh, as the non-compete. The basically they purchased it solely to get a competitor all the way, even though they classified it as a second tier. And if people remember a lot of stories, SureDog was writing about it at the time. Um, yeah, I guess we go Jeff Sherwood, mm-hmm. Josh Gross, Greg Savage, those guys talking about there were a lot of rumors at the time that UFC was very protective of the Las Vegas uh, market. Remember, they supposedly were working behind the scenes to try to block or hamper Pride's ability to put on shows there. Mm-hmm. The WFA here, other promotions supposedly had problems. So this is probably some evidence and it and it, it for the plaintiffs it's good evidence because it shows a, a plan by the UFC to protect this market uh which is is good for them and probably bad for the defendants I don't know how much in totality uh something about an event from 2007 is going to enter the case 
but it plays a part. But it's interesting that that's the reasoning behind it. And you add in, I'm, we don't have in this document, but there's another email that basically they say the same thing about Pride, that they were going to buy Pride for the sole purpose, of basically, to keep someone else from getting it. Amazing. Now, in this same section, the very next item tells how much their annual revenue increase between 2006 and 2016. Would you read from that and explain it, please? Well, they just they bring up that uh, they had a massive increase in revenue uh, between that this period because this is the period they cover 2005 to 2016 is the period this document covers, and they talk about annual revenues increased at 2016 that year they generate 703 million dollars in revenue that's a compound annual growth rate of 14.6 percent so they went from to, in fact we know from 2005 the revenue is about 48 million so from 2006 which was 180 million it grew up to 703 million. During that same period, they have an EBITDA margin, or not a margin, but EBITDA, the earnings before interest, taxation, depreciation, amortization, that ranged anywhere from $38 million to $202 million per year. So the company was very profitable during those 10, those 10 years. And as we'll see later, uh, if you get further ahead, I'm not going to jump, if you get further ahead, you'll start seeing just how profitable, just how much of an ATM machine the this company was for the owners and the owners being majority for most of it, the owners were exclusively Dana White and of course the Partita brothers who own the vast majority of it. But then later in another group, a, a little hint, another group enters the picture a little bit later. All right, John. So we are going to get into the next section, which is E historical sources of capital. Yes. Well, in this section, he guy Davis and his team, they go over Zupa's three main sources of capital up until the sale to William uh, Morris, WME, now Endeavor, right? And those are one, cash flow from operations earned each year, or EBITDA. In other words, the money made from the business itself, right? Uh, so earnings before interest, taxation, depreciation, and amortization is EBITDA. So the money they make from cash flow from operations, that money that they can use either for uh, working capital, to, like invest it to build buildings, stuff like that, you know, buy equipment, that's working capital, but they can also use that money to pay the taxes, pay interest on loans, and most importantly here, pay the owners. So that's one source of historical capital. The other one is debt proceeds uh, from third-party lenders because the UFC, as everybody knows their history, they took out a lot of loans. That's what that's from. And C, proceeds from January Capital Investment, which is one, Flash Entertainment, you remember them, bought 10% of the promotion back in 2009. So that's the three main sources that money capital came into the company. So, John, when, when you're looking through this tiny little section here, what stands out to you most? I, I guess the number one thing is just basically how much money uh, that the cash from operations brought in and they used, uh, and they used for the, they used for themselves. Right. Um, uh, because we have cash from operations. They, they brought in basically Zupa generated $1.25 billion, right. Mm -hmm. From 2005 to 2016. And then on top of that, they also took out a tremendous amount of debt financing and that debt, not as much as money they brought in, obviously the, the revenue they generated, but they they brought in their their term debt was one point four one five billion dollars in term debt. Now there's loans they took in. Now a good portion of that was refinancing. They had loans, they had to take more loans to pay the old loans off, that sort of thing. 
But a big part of it, too, and it's very interesting, is in the early days, in 2007 and 2009, they took two big loans out. First, in 2007, they took $350 million total out. In 2009, they took another $100 million. The vast bulk of that money didn't go to operations, didn't go to anything else, went to paying directly to the owners. They distributed the equity, $320 million total from that $450 million went to the owners as distributions. And that was probably the, the most eye-catching thing. And then just to cap it off, the, the final thing, they also got a bunch of money when uh, January Capital bought 10% because they they invested, they gave the the previous owners $175.5 million for their 10% share of uh, Zufa. Historical uses of capital. Break down what we're looking at here. Well, I, I hinted a little bit about the distributions, mm-hmm. but one of the prime uses during this period, they, they used that capital they raised for a variety of purposes. Okay, They used it to, uh, to use it to pay off principal and interest on their tax, their debt, uh, to make dividend uh, distributions to the original equity holders, to acquire other MMA organizations. They, they used, you know, for the loans, they've spent like $56 million to buy Pride, just a few million for, during this period in 2006, they bought the WEC, they bought WFA, uh, they bought, ended up buying Affliction, as we said, in 2009, the assets. So they're spending money on promotions, which is a lot, but the number one thing they used for all these billions of dollars they raised was distribution to the shareholders. And the distribution, uh, we can actually see how much each shareholder got, right? So from this period, 2005 to 2016, the, this is distributions. This doesn't cover some of the other, um, uh, like the salary the executives made or some other bonuses or some you know benefits they had with the company. This is just the distributions for being an equity shareholder. So during that period from 2005, when the tough boom took off, started that year, through 2000, end of 2016, after they sold to Endeavor, uh, Lorenzo Fertitta and Frank Fertitta both got distributions. Well, if we round up, $538 million each. Dana White, the junior partner, during that period in distributions, got $115 million. And then the final, the, 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 the last member of the team, January, only joined at the end of 2009, they got $49 million in distributions. So between those, all those guys, those four members, including the three primary Zufa members, they got paid $1.239 billion over that class period in distributions. So that's, that's a tremendous amount of money, right? What's interesting, too, is that also that money, and we'll get into this a little bit later, probably we'll go and break and break it down more, that a lot of that money, that's more money than they had net income in that that period. The company didn't make up that much money in profit to pay out distributions. Instead, they had to take on large amounts of debt and loans to pay themselves even more, as well as send a, sell a portion of the company to get more money on than they would have got just from the profits of the company. Did they really take out loans to give themselves bonuses? Yes, it was not bonuses, but distributions. As we mentioned earlier, they took out three hundred fifty million in two thousand seven, and uh, two hundred fifty million of that went to the three owners. In two thousand nine, they took out an additional hundred million. Seventy million of that loan went to the owners. Let's get to section E three: the value to Zufa equity holders. Okay, this is kind of interesting because this gets to some other stuff. This is the equity of the the company, the increased valuation of the company, right? And and basically how they could take advantage of it by having the company. So the company, 
they distributed not just the 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 profits from the EBITDA to themselves. They also took out equity in the company through the sale of it, ten uh, percent to Flash, uh, and I guess you could say through the loans, right? During that period, so they took out a lot of the the wealth ahead of time, and so. You know, people, this is this is one way to look at it. You know, people always say that the one great thing about the UFC that and Dana White brags about this all the time, that we are out here reinvesting in the sport. No one else is doing that. Right. Well, theoretically, they're not reinvesting in the sport because they are spending more money than they are bringing in as earnings. Right. As a uh, as operating income. They were actually, instead of investing in the sport, they're investing in themselves by taking more cash out of the company than they was actually making. And so that it's, it is, I find it somewhat hilarious, the whole concept that they're investing in the sport, right? That seems to be just a talking point on them. On top of that, on top of the benefits they got from taking money out for themselves, they got to use UFC to cover other costs. One of them is aviation expenses. They had five, five uh, corporate jets, including three Gulfstream jets, uh, a Bombardier Global Express jet, and a Boeing business jet. I don't know why that's important, but it's listed, so I'm going to read them off, right? Uh, they were spending, on average, $9 million per year during the period we have, 2005 to 2016, on the use of this corporate jet. But in preparing an analysis from Goldman Sachs, the this was Zufa hired them to do this, Goldman Sachs preparing analysis, looked at it and said, really, aviation expense, uh, expenses should have been between about $1.5 million a year. So that means they were spending much, almost they're spending uh, five times, six times as much as they should have for the use for what their company needed for the use of the jet. So that implies that they were using that jet for their other businesses, perhaps station casino or their personal use and charging it to the UFC. So they were getting several million dollars of uh, of use of private jets at, on the company's dime. Right. And so that, that's another benefit they had. On top of that, they had a management fee. Uh, Zupa paid a management fee to the Pertitas or their management company through this period. The payments ranged anywhere from $500,000 to $2.7 million and totaled about $11 million. So they were paying additional, besides what we said of them getting paid for the distri distributions, besides using the private jet, the Pertitas management company was also getting money from the UFC as a management fee. And this... These fees are separate from the salary and bonuses that were paid to Dana White as a president and Lorenzo Pertita. So they got additional money as salaries and bonuses, but because those were part of the company, the you know, the general day-to-day -day operations, those are not included in here. John, what about item 40? WME IMG sale proceeds. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete -tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, 
the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.